0: Hello boys and girls. Welcome to the Big Honker Podcast. We appreciate everybody tuning in. Hunting season's finally here. September's ripping along. Hopefully you burned some gunpowder. Got out there in the great outdoors and enjoyed a little bit of Mother Nature. God's creatures. This podcast is brought to you by the one and only Stanfield Hunting Outfitters, home of the Big Honker Lodge and the Big Honker Podcast.
1: Got some specials running in November. We've got some uh, first let's go early November, the first fourteen days of November, weekday duck hunts, two fifty for person lodging, breakfast, and a hunt. That's two fifty for morning duck hunt. You need to have at least five people to do a hunt. Then we've got some hunts, some goose hunting available. First day I've got any kind of special be twenty second and twenty-third, which I believe is the Monday and Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Call me for special rates and need at least six people to book a hunt. That's nine four oh six five eight three one seven two.
0: Get on those. Those are some good dates. Uh, this podcast is also brought to you by Gundog Outdoors. Right now, you can save yourself 20% by using the promo code TRUMP2020 on the trauma kit. It is important. You need this trauma kit in your vehicle. You need one in your bags. It probably wouldn't hurt to have one at your house. Also, TRUMP2020 will save you 20%.
1: And it might save your life. You could. Uh, first aid kit very important.
0: Or, or a family member. Hang or on your Or your pooch. So, jump all over this, 20%, Trump 2020, or you can use a promo code, BigHonker, and that is good for uh, any other thing from Gundog Outdoors. So, they're trying to save you money. So, go over to their site, GundogOutdoors.com, get everything you need to uh, take care of yourself and your dog.
1: Great company, great products, great owner.
0: We're also brought to you by Dirty Duck Coffee, another promo code, also, Trump 2020. Save yourself some money with Dirty Duck Coffee. If your coffee sucks, it ain't duck. They got a high caffeine one for those days where you're dog-ass tired. Put that bad boy in your coffee, and uh, you'll be shitting like a fucking nutty squirrel. Tell you how you know it's good coffee.
1: Is it the the pooping content?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. If it really gets you active, you got a good coffee.
1: I drink drink a cup or two of Dirty Duck every morning. It's good stuff. Getting old helps me out.
0: (coughs) Uh, Like prune juice. DirtyDuckCoffee.com. And we are also brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries. Get skinny 2020. You don't need the big, bulky full bodies anymore.
1: No, it's the way to go. It's skinny. It's easy to get in and out of the field. Big spreads. That's where it's at. Uh, Central Flyway, Midwest Pacific. It do not matter where you're going to hunt at. The the, the more decoys you have, the better off you are. You can get so many more decoys with so much less work. And that's divebombindustries.com.
0: We're also brought to you by Boss Shot Shells. Bismuth, copper-plated, hits like a freight train. We've been uh, shooting those at Teal down here. Oof.
1: It only takes one.
0: I do feel bad for those little guys because it just wrecks them. Just wrecks them.
1: Folks, you better get on the boss train pretty quick. Uh, rumor is might be going to be a shortage of shotgun shells this year. Yeah. They might be the only company out there that's really producing any. So.
0: The fucking Rona.
1: Get on the boss
0: BossShotShells.com, or you can uh, you can message them, call them up. They can tell you everything that you need. We had a guy message us. He was shooting uh, shooting cranes with the 20-gauge, wanted to know what he needed. Boss had an answer, of course.
1: Yep, They take care of you. Call her, holler at Meg over at Boss.
0: We're also brought to you by Pacific Calls. They got a call for everything up there. PacificCustomCalls.com. Uh, lesser Calls. Big Geese Calls. They got a new crane call coming out. That's going to be pretty cool. Um I, I don't know when it's coming out. I've, I've seen them teasing it, so it'll be out here pretty soon. They're reworking their uh, their guts on the on the goose calls, so be sure pay attention to what they got going on up there. They got a lot of cool shit at pacificcustomcalls.com. We're also brought to you by Foul Bandits apparel. Swag that you need for this upcoming hunting season. Foulbandits.com, they got shirts, hats, hoodies, they can do decals. Uh, they can do decals for your trailer. Got a lot of cool stuff over there at foulbandits.com. Um, outfit yourself.
1: Treat yourself. Look the part. Look good. You Got to get look good in the parking lot.
0: You got to look good. Play good. Foulbandits.com. Also, we're brought to you by Lucky Duck. The Lucky Duck spinners are the way to go. I use, uh, I use the Dove. Use the Dove quite a bit in September. Not only do I use them for my dove hunts, but I also use them for my teal hunts. In my mind, they got like a faster wing beat. I don't know if that's true or not. but The teal love them. The teal usually like it, so that's what we use. LuckyDuck.com, uh, also the 2x4. Hunt season's coming up. You're going to need that 2x4 Hunt the Edge. Get the eyes off of you as much as you can. That's why I like it, Hunt the Edge. And they can fit four grown men. I get that question a lot. How many guys can it fit? Four fit four big-ass men in the, in the Lucky Duck 2x4. So go to luckyduck.com, get some of their stuff headed your way. Also, we're brought to you by the Looking Glass Duck Club and the Looking Glass Podcast. Uh, we just completed a giveaway with them. Six people out here at the Big Honker Lodge last weekend in September for a dove hunt. Logan Pyatt and Rebel put on a hell of a show over there. So you can listen to their podcast wherever you listen to ours.
1: If you're a uh, bourbon drinker, you better jump on board. They get a bourbon review they do every week.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think when when do the, their their podcast release every Thursday, I believe. Yes. So you can look for it at the at the end of the week. <clears throat> Pull you through the mid the end of the week blues that you might be going through. Uh, Looking Glass Duck Club podcast. I think that's what it's called. Type it in, you'll find it. We're also brought to you by Fourteen Cattle Company, grass fed beef. Meet the difference. Ship straight to your door. You can get a whole beef, half beef, whatever you want. All grass fed, all natural. You don't have to go to the store, worry about the Rona. You can just get on your you can get on your iPad and order you a side of beef like nothing. 14 cattlecompanycom uh, you can check out everything. We just we just completed our kill list. It should be here uh, in the next couple of days. Excited to see. I'm excited to taste the difference. 14 Cattle Company. We're also brought to you by J2 Outdoors. We got a little promo code for y'all. 10% off of everything. The promo code is Big Honker. Big Honker will save you ten percent off of the ice ripper. They got a brand new one with a badass motor on it. Open up your ice hole. Keep water open. It's the best bait in the world. Whenever everything's locking up, uh, J2OutdoorsLLC.com. You can go check out everything that they got going on over there. They've got a a motor ice ripper, and they've also got uh, one that you plug in. So take your pick, but use the promo code Big Honker. Save yourself ten percent. Last but not least, we're brought to you by William and Chris Wines, Texas wine made there in high Texas with the one and only Chris Brundrick. Good people over there. Uh, I know that they are really excited to get their vineyards back open whenever they can. But in the meantime, you can find their wines at all the fancy supermarkets, Whole Foods, Central Markets, Paper or Plastic. They got William and Chris wine right there. Get the Skeleton Key. We're having steak tonight here at the Lodge. I will be having me a nice glass of Skeleton Key. Williamandchriswines.com That is all of our great sponsors. Be sure to check them out. They do a lot for this show, so hopefully you're doing a lot for them. Show some love. Okay, this episode of the podcast, we are joined by the man that runs Southern Oak Kennels North, Mr. Don Collier. Uh, Good podcast. We really enjoy talking to him. Uh, Put a beat down. On the uh, on the big honkers, uh, just uh, just not too long ago. So we talk about that. Talk a little bit about dog training. All in all, it was a really good podcast. We appreciate him coming on. Here he is, Don Collier.
1: All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Boom, and welcome to the Big Honker Podcast brought to you by Gundog Outdoors. I'm Jeff Stanfield. I'm Andy Shaver. On the
0: line with us today, we've got Mr. Don Collier from Southern Oak Kennels North out of Athens, Michigan. How are you, sir?
2: Hey, man, not too bad. How's it going?
0: We're doing awesome. Weather's nice down here in Texas. It's a balmy 75, a little bit of a north wind. Beautiful.
2: We are running about the same, except ours is barely creeping out of the south today. So,
0: you, uh, what have you done with the dogs today?
2: Well, we started off this morning with a 50 bird honker smash and some, uh, corn. So they, they definitely got their workout this morning.
0: How many dogs do you run on that?
2: Uh, today we ran three. Um, I mean, that's about typical. Usually, In a feed the size of the one we ran this morning, we're going to usually run three or four dogs.
0: So you scout the night before, you see if you think it's going to be a good hunt, and then you bring dogs accordingly?
2: Yeah, we bring people, we bring guns and dogs accordingly. So if if we have a really good hide and the birds seem very comfortable in the feed, and, you know, they've been settled into the field for a few days, then, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll bring guns and dogs accordingly. We'll, we'll either scale up or scale down as need be
0: see i'm afraid that would bite me in the ass i'm afraid i would bring 10 guys and five dogs and only need two guys and one dog has that ever
2: like i tell everybody even on the good days the birds still win it was a 300 bird feed we shot about 50 so there's 250 that still beat us today
0: uh, well that's that's true too uh did they come out in small flocks or what
2: um, they started coming out in small flocks first thing this morning. We had trickles, you know, five, eight pairs, singles, and then uh we had probably three or four flocks of, you know, twenty five to forty um come in, which you know, make it a little more difficult. But uh you know, we still won. So
0: That's a big flock I mean, for honkers.
2: Yeah. It is, it is. And I mean up here too you always have that local roost that when you beat them you feel really good about it Mm -hmm. and that was the roost we shot today so (laughs) they they were coming out to a feed and they'd been in there for a few days and um yeah we definitely got even with them a little bit today
0: was it standing corn
2: it's cut corn um uh, up here right now, the seed corn basically is the the first stuff to come down, and that's what we were hunting this morning. The seed corn field. I see
0: guys. Uh, I guess it, I guess it's usually earlier, but I see guys that are hunting that standing corn, and they just back up a couple rows of the, back into the corn, oh, put yeah. out their lawn chairs, and just go to work.
2: Yep. yeah, we've done that. I mean, usually the silage fields when the farmers are cutting it for their cows, they'll you know make a few passes and then leave some of it standing, and then you can. You know, move the decoys and stand a couple rows back, and um, definitely makes the hide pretty dirty. Uh, we didn't have that advantage today. We were, I think, this is the first time we were in layouts all year. But uh, yeah, it worked.
1: What's uh, the, what's the limit right now?
2: So Michigan's early season in the southern zone where we are. We're southwest Michigan, I guess. Um, It's five birds a day, and the season runs the whole month of September. Then we shut down, and then our our duck season and our regular goose season opens the second Saturday in October. And then our limit goes from five down to three.
1: So do y'all shoot any small geese at all, or is it all big boys?
2: So right now, um we're shooting primarily the big guys we'll get like the st james bay and the hudson bay birds um we don't get the the cacklers for sure like you know you guys get down there but we'll get uh you know our small geese or the rust bellies from from the hudson bay for sure
1: what's birds weighing you shooting are they 12 pound birds or 15 pound birds 12
2: pound birds everybody says you know 15 pound birds that that would be probably rare um We've been holding a big goose contest for a couple years now with the, the group of guys I hunt with, and I think usually about a 12-and-a-half-pound bird usually wins that every year.
1: So For the whole season?
2: Um, as we get later, they'll get a little bit bigger, but fifteen still pushing it.
1: I've got two birds in here that come from Rochester, Minnesota, and the guy told me they both weighed 17 pounds. And I don't know why they lied no. to me. They're biggest. I yeah. mean, they're, they're freaking huge.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. But on the regular, I'm thinking, you know, that's we're not going to do that day in and day out here for sure.
1: I don't think anybody's ever killed a twenty pound goose. I always hear guys. I shot. We shot some birds weigh twenty pounds. I, I don't think there's such yeah. things as a twenty pound goose.
2: Yeah, like I said, we put the scale to them, and that twelve and a half pounds about about typical, I think, for a
1: big goose here.
0: One of our guides won the uh, the big goose contest in his local area a couple of years ago. Well,
1: that's because he cheated.
0: He put a finger down on the scale when the guy wasn't looking. Ended up ended up <laughs> sixteen and three quarter. Won a won a brand new shotgun that year.
1: Nice. Blake is not very. I mean, you <laughs> he's think not about, very ethical. He, he stole a call from Walmart. They forgot about. Put it in his pocket and was <laughs> blowing it. and Got in the car. He's like, oh shit.
0: In his defense, it was just a little ten dollar Pentel whistle. Walmart so,
1: might go broke over that ten dollar whistle.
0: Yeah, he was he was dicking around with it one day. They were messing around, and he was you know, jacking around, and uh, I guess put it in his pocket or his jacket pocket, and went about his shopping, and then got out to the pickup, and there it was. So,
1: and being the honest guy, he did not go back in and give him ten dollars. <laughs> no,
0: he did he did not go in and pay for it. Nor did he. Uh, nor did he. Uh, Return the shotgun that he won for yes. the big goose, but he is a big goose contest winner.
1: So, uh, nice. I'm gonna tell you right now you take a, a dog though, and they retrieve 20 12 and a half pound geese. <laughs> and you think about it, what, what's a dog weigh? 75 pounds? Yeah, yeah,
2: for sure. That's probably average.
1: That's a, that's a lot, of, lot of weight for a dog to be putting its mouth and come back and forth on.
2: That's a lot of goose for sure, especially in, you know, a a feed here is going to last maybe two hours if you're lucky. So they're definitely getting their reps in.
0: Yeah. Now, how do you do it? Is it one go? Do you have like a three-way system or does one retrieve X amount and then it's the other dog's turn? How do you do it?
2: On a rain out, if we're shooting a pretty decent sized flock, we'll get all three out um, as needed. So typically... Anything laying close to the blinds, um, the younger dogs will pick up if we have cripples or sailors, um, the more experienced dog and the handler will get out and get those ran down immediately. And then, uh, you know, the younger dogs and the hunters will work on the stuff close to the blinds.
0: Now each dog will have a handler?
2: Yeah. Yep. Occasionally, we will run two dogs with one handler, but typically, um, you know, if you're trying to get a younger dog work, usually you're going to have one handler per dog.
0: I, 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 shit, I'm lucky to run the one I got. I couldn't imagine having two.
2: Yeah, we'll we'll do it on occasion if, you know, if we're trying to teach one to honor or, uh, you know, just share some reps and get some blind time in with a couple of them.
0: Now these big geese, are they, if, if they're, if they're, just crippled are they tough for a dog to bring back like are they
2: violent yeah yeah they they can be it's definitely not something and it's what i tell most of our clients is you know it's probably not the best first hunt for your dog to be on um especially if you're trying to bowl the pup up where you want them to enjoy the experience you know uh, a big 12 pound crippled honks probably not the the best thing for a young pup to square off with on its first uh, day in the field. Yeah. Um, but we, we've definitely, uh, you know, try to make sure that that doesn't happen, that, uh, younger dogs are picking up the ones that are stoned for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the way it is down here with cranes. Cranes are, you know, they're big, and they've got that pointy beak, and I don't personally bring my dog. He's 100 pounds, and I still don't bring him. A lot of guys are starting to do it. They put those rec specs on them, and that seems to work out pretty good. But if it were a new dog, you're right. I would not uh, I would not advise having it get its ass beat by a, uh, by a big sandhill. The good thing about down here, our birds are so small, so even if it does square up, most of the dogs just <clears throat> roll it over and go on about their
1: day.
2: Yeah, and no, up here, like I said, I mean, it's just, you know, we try to manage that as as best we can with, with the dogs and make sure that we get them used to picking up, you know, crippled ducks and some stuff that are, you know, a little easier on them than, than the big geese right out of the gate.
0: So optimally, optimally, that's how you would like to do it, just have them on a duck hunt and that kind of get their feet wet handling crippled ducks?
2: Yep, get their feet wet. You know, send them on dead geese that you know don't have any life to them, and then, you know, transition them to cripples as that confidence and that drive um, come up for sure.
0: Now, do y'all use uh, wing clip pigeons in your training up there?
2: We use wing clip pigeons, wing clip mallards, um, but there's just no comparison for a wing clip mallard, you know, going into a 12 pound goose that, you know, has decided that you know, the fight or flight instinct kicks in and he's decided he's gonna fight. There's uh there's just no preparing a pup for that.
0: Oh sure. Yeah, no there's no.
2: something they definitely learn on their own on the spot, on the job training for sure.
0: Well and I'm sure even just a a pen raised bird versus a a wild bird and that like you said, that will to live and that fight or flight kicks in. You got a pen raised bird that's known nothing but a cage and it, it knows a handler. Uh, but you take a wild bird that that's that's injured and i'm sure even that's a little bit different
2: it's a different game for sure yeah
1: now are you uh are you running a guide service for the goose hunts or just hunting with your good buddies
2: we just buddy hunt we don't um run a guide service we have a, a network of you know local guys in the area who hate geese just as much as we do and um you know when we can get after them and share hunts we do and you just have fun with it.
1: Well, Brandon told me you kill more geese than anybody in Michigan.
2: Uh, there's some guys in Michigan that are straight killers. I don't know if we kill more, but I like to think that you know we do pretty good for sure.
0: Now, how close are you to Brandon in relation to Brandon? The town?
2: Is about an hour and twenty minutes down the highway from us. He he's tucked right up against the Lake Michigan shoreline, and we're more center of the state.
0: He got in so, on a so, burner not too long ago, I guess last week with him. was that with you?
2: Yeah, yeah, we shot seventy on Saturday with Brandon
0: now did yep. he come up to he came up to y'all
2: yeah, he came up to uh, well, it was actually a mutual friend we had we had a buddy who was uh working on a piece of property to hunt, and it, everything finally lined up for him so we we went up and invited Brandon up and uh had a good shoot for sure.
1: I think next year the, when we get our YouTube channel running, I think the Big Honker podcast needs to do a goose hunt for a couple of days in Michigan midweek.
2: <clears throat> Man, I'm telling you, it's fun. It's a blast. If you like killing geese, it definitely doesn't suck.
0: <laughs> Y'all I, shot a band that day too, didn't you?
2: Yeah, yep, we shot a band this morning also. Where yeah, was, where we was don't it get from? them often. Uh, you know what? I'm not even sure where that one's from. I don't know if the the guy who won the drawing called that in this morning yet or not, but, yeah, so we definitely got one this morning. How,
1: y'all, how many bands are you going to kill? Let's say you kill 1,000 geese. How many bands are you going to kill this year probably we on average? Think
2: typically, we like to say we kill one band out of every 100
1: birds that we shoot. That's what mine used to be here. Now it's about one yeah. out of 1,000. So you're gonna yeah. ki- you should kill 10 bands on the average year if you kill 1,000 birds. Yeah. Yep. Are they rivet bands?
2: We have not got the rivet bands yet.
0: I think that's more of a Minnesota
2: deal. Yeah, mo- most of we, we will get them from Canada occasionally. Usually they'll have one of each. Um, but right now we're getting a lot of, uh, like the molt migrators, or have just started to come back uh, here in the last week. So, we're getting a lot of Hudson Bay birds, a lot of St. James Bay birds. Um, so, so, those are typically what we kill and where our bands come from if they're not banded locally. Now, where so there will, are a few areas in Michigan that do band for sure?
0: Where will your birds go after they leave Michigan?
2: Our birds here, the ones that are truly born and raised here, won't leave until either every all the water's hard or they just can't get to the food anymore. And when that happens, they go just as far south as they need to to get water and food.
0: So, I mean, it, they might, I mean, on a right year, they might not even leave Michigan.
1: Right. Correct. Do you, uh have y'all killed Jack Miners ever there?
2: Um. I know a few people that have killed minors. Um, we, I haven't been in the field when one's been shot yet, but a couple of younger guys I know shot a minor banded mallard. And then, you know, we'll hear a minor banded honks being shot, you know, usually at least once a year, somebody I know
1: will shoot one. What is the area they're shooting them? Is it Ohio? Yeah. I is, think so. is where the minor so, bands come from.
2: Yeah. The minor bands are banded in Ontario, um, right across from detroit basically so that whole east side of the state down into toledo even though they'll get them the east side of the state will get them um so very rarely do they make it this far inland
1: i'd love to get someone from jack Manor on with us it'll be an interesting
2: podcast yep. um yeah bob alfrey from gk calls is actually uh a michigan call company here um he is the—I think—he's the vice president of the Jack Meyer Bird Sanctuary. So
1: I would love to visit with him. I think that would be an interesting podcast. That's what—a what a cool deal. Uh, so you're from Michigan, which means you're a Detroit Lions fan, right? Sorry,
2: man. I haven't watched pro football in a few years now, but uh, like I said, I think uh, when you're from Michigan, you get a surrogate football team at birth that you just get to choose <laughs> and root for.
1: Who's your surrogate team then?
2: Uh, it changes. Um, it was the Eagles with Carson once there. I know he's a big, uh, big goose killer. Yes, I think he
1: runs him a golden retriever.
2: So yep. it, it was the Eagles when I was paying attention. But like I said, I haven't paid attention the last couple years.
1: He runs a golden retriever? I think so. Uh,
2: yep, I believe so.
1: That, I don't know. Uh
0: i've seen some good golden retrievers but on a large scale
1: uh, it's tough to tough to find a good one you're treading on a really slippery slope here that's why I let do it, you agree with me I, or not that's John. why i let it go
2: <laughs> so the short answer to that is is the field spread <laughs> goldens that do a good job in the field are still good at what they do just like anything else you know the golden's a super popular breed so Uh, In the grand scheme of things, just like the Labrador, there's lines of them that have been, that the hunting instinct has been bred out of them. But when you get into the true um, field-bred goldens, you'll definitely find some good ones. Uh, There's a couple guys here on the uh, west side of the state, Um, Boone Cook and Chad Miller, they have some really nice field-bred goldens that do do a really good job. So they're definitely out there.
1: I'm
0: not knocking goldens. I'm just saying that on scale, there are more goldens that I've seen way more goldens in my line of work of having a guy come out and bring his dog out here and hunt. I've seen way more goldens shit the bed than I have labs. That's all I'm saying. That's
1: all I'm saying. Don't fucking, don't, don't fucking come at my inbox. I don't, I don't. And I stand by what I said too. I typically don't edge away from not saying nothing, but I did on this because I knew this was what was going to happen. And what you're saying is absolutely correct. In, In my experience. lifetime, I've seen a couple of people. My buddy Gary's got a good Golden. Yes, he does. And But that's about it. I have not seen very many more. Most of the time, most of the Goldens I've seen, the guys that are running them need more work than the dog does, too.
0: Well, Don, uh, the most of the Goldens that I've seen, they they don't have much drive.
1: Gotcha. He's going to stay out of this, too, probably. Do you all uh, do train Goldens or sell them?
2: So it's what I tell everybody our our business is labs and our business is very specifically the lines that we breed. I don't really pay much attention to what everybody else is doing. I really don't. Um, like I said, we have a few friends that come out and train with us and then you know, the dog training circuit here in Michigan, the local guys, I know what they have in the back of their truck and outside of that group, I really. I really don't know
1: who's carrying what, to be honest. Well, I was raised around the field trial game as a, younger, yep. as a younger man. So when I was a kid growing up, there were absolutely very few Goldens, if any, that were worth a shit in field trials. I'm not saying someone's going to say Haw- Hawkeye's dancer or something was a field champion back in 1971. Yep. I'm sure there has been. But there were very, very few Goldens that were, that were on that circuit at all. I mean, it was very, yep. very, very rare, and they just didn't have the drive and the go that the blacks do. Now, a chocolate labs were the same way, too, back then. You didn't see very, stigma. very you didn't see Well, you just didn't see very many chocolates that were very successful either, and I, and I think that's changed a lot, too. I have not seen a silver lab that was any good at all or whatever the hell they are.
2: Yeah. Well, with the chocolates too, I mean, you know, generations of selective breeding that I think that line's definitely coming around if, yes. again. It's the same, the same deal. You have to really know what you're looking for. You have to know um, what you what you want and then shop with a purpose. If you know, it's just like anything else. If you buy probably buy the cheapest one without doing your research, then, you know, it's just like playing the lottery. I tell everybody if you you know, you want to do everything you can do to stack the odds in your favor of winning. So
1: do you see any good Chesapeake's? I had Chesapeake's for a while
2: and it's just a different kind of dog. It's not a dog that's a lab. Probably not a dog for a first time dog owner. But, you know, it's just like anything else. There's there's a few good ones out there if you're looking in the right place, I guess.
1: I had a buddy of mine that had one that's one of the best dogs I've ever been around in my life. Great family dog, pet dog. But then he had another one, and that was a hard-headed son of a bitch. It wasn't worth shooting. <laughs>
2: yeah. There's, there's a few of them that, uh, like I said, I've, I've seen a few that, that my buddies have owned in the past that you know, definitely earned their food at the end of the hunt. That's for sure.
0: So it was the breeding, more than anything, that led to the downfall of the Golden Retriever?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you could even say that with the lab in general because there's a lot more couch potato labs now than there are, uh, you know, field-bred Labradors that are doing the work that we expect these guys to do on a daily basis. So um, if if you get anything from field-bred lines that's proven itself to be, you know, worthy of doing the work, then you're probably going to be okay. And I think you guys touched on on a point earlier, too, that, you know, if you you look at, uh, you know, if you look at some of these labs and you compare them to sports cars, well, that's great if, uh, you know, I have a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, but if I'm selling it to you and you haven't even got your driver's license yet, then it really doesn't do you any good. So um, looking at it from a handlers, Aspect, you know, the handlers definitely need to spend some time, especially a new handler with a dog, understanding, you know, the verbal and nonverbal cues and, and all of that fun stuff that goes along with, uh, you know, running a dog for sure. Yeah,
1: they that need is a ha- very good point. They need a school for handlers. I've seen some guys have no business running a dog that have good dogs.
2: Yeah, we- and it, it's just an experience and a comfortability thing. It, it's new and people. One of the biggest mistakes I feel like the new handlers make is they try. It. Everything seems to be just going a hundred miles an hour for them. this slow down, take their time, get comfortable with the commands and the cast, and and things as they unfold. It, it tends to get a lot better for them.
0: See, that's my philosophy too, and I get shit for taking my time out <laughs> in the field.
1: It's a different type of time. No,
0: Andy. no, it's all about staying calm and staying in control. Am I right, Don?
1: That is correct.
0: See, mm. everybody's like, "Get your fucking hurry up, get the birds, but and but get back in the calm fucking blind." To the point to
2: where you start snoring and drooling—that's a little excessive too. So there is there is a balance there for sure.
0: I, just, I but but if if we're getting birds, I'm gonna do a proper job. I'm gonna get the birds that we can get, and then I'm gonna get back in the blind. Everybody gives yep. me shit for taking too long. Just the other guys. You do. gotta stay calm in the pocket,
1: Jeff. Yes, that's-, I can't, yeah. and I can't. That, and
2: that's something we've started doing here, too. If we'll get up, we'll get the birds that we can get out of the flock, and then we want those birds gone immediately. We don't want them staying in the field circling for another five minutes. If they they didn't carry shot the first trip around, we want them out of there so they don't spoil the next group that comes in. Yeah,
0: These guys around here can just piss off. I know what I'm doing here.
2: We've had that happen a ton, especially on a day like today where you get a trickle. You bust nice. into a group of 15 and you kill 11 and then those four want to hang around. Then you get fresh birds in and then they end up mixed in with the flock of four that you just shot at. And then they all leave. So now, our, our philosophy is, is get what you can get, get the rest of, of them out of the field and wait for the next fresh group.
1: Have you, you deal with, with, with dog handlers and dogs. Have you noticed five cases? cases? Yeah, bring them in here. Sorry. We just got a bunch of boss ammo in. So, uh, gotcha. Uh, have you, have you noticed with people about their dogs that you can say shit about their wife? Something's derogatory and they don't get mad. But if you say anything about their dog, they get all butthurt about it. Man, people love their dogs. They go way, (laughs) way way (laughs) overboard (laughs) sometimes. Yeah. What gets me is a guy will have a dog. I had a guy call me last week. Listen to this. He calls me, and he told me, he said, hey, he said, my son, we've got a hunt booked with you. Can we bring a dog? I said, you have a private hunt? I said, yes, you're welcome to bring a dog. I don't recommend it unless your dog is fully trained and hunts a lot. <clears throat> just not, it just doesn't go, water, especially goose hunting. And this guy said, oh, yeah, my son's had this dog at a trainer. I said, oh, okay. I said, uh, how long has it been the trainer? Uh, two months. I said, how old's a dog? It'll be six months old when we come out there. Hell no. That dog has no business going on a freaking goose hunt. I said, you can bring a dog if you want to, but I'm telling you right now, you'd be better off to leave that dog at home. Well, I just want you to be honest with us. That's about as honest as I can be. A six-month-old puppy has no business hunting a goose hunt, a field like we hunt.
0: Well, and the way that we're hunting big flocks, it's chaos. It's chaos. Big flocks, big spreads. You know, so, I don't know. What's your opinion, Don?
2: Um, at that age? It, so, usually, if you're doing the big flocks, the big spreads of the big guns, that's just too much for a young dog to process. And, you know, it, I always look at it as risk-reward. Mm-hmm. The risks in that situation of having a huge setback are definitely greater than the reward of having the dog out there for that going on. Um, you know, huge flocks, huge spins, huge spreads, you know, just the valleys of birds, um, the valleys into large flocks, several marks. It's just a lot for, uh, a trained dog to process the first time, let alone one that young with zero experience
1: yeah a six month old puppy does not have any business now yeah. if you take that dog and you got it on a lead and, he, and he'll set and he'll and he'll and he'll honor it's not a bad experience for him to let him have a single here and there but the average six month old puppy has no business going through that
0: what's your opinion? How many guys do this does this guy have
1: They got like eight people
0: What's your opinion on that many gunshots for the first time around a dog
2: yeah see usually for us. We're gonna have one, maybe two guns, and then we're gonna tell the handler and the owner of the dog probably don't take a gun the first couple times and you know your focus needs to be a hundred percent on that dog. That way you're you're able to correct if you get a break or you know, you can read the dog's mannerisms if it's getting too, anxious or you know whatever it may be that the dog's going through you can read the dog and know if you need to get them out of the environment or you know manage what's going on with them
0: now y'all you don't use shot collars is that correct
2: um at our location we will use shot collars in a couple different scenarios if the owner requests a shot collar or if we feel like the dog is going to overpower the handler to where, you know, the handler's not going to be able to get the the obedience out of the dog that it needs without one, then we, we may recommend one. So I would say we run probably 70% no collar, and 30% with it, with any collar.
0: Okay. I'm pro collar. I'll just get that out there. So, In an instance where you're not using a collar, what correction can be made if the dog does break?
2: Um, You literally, like you just mentioned earlier, you have to have them on on a lead. For us, like a no, a hard no, is kind of like a nick with the collar. They've heard it enough. They know what it means. They understand it. Um, So if you're blazing away and the dog breaks and it gets, you know, 40 yards deep in the spread or 20 yards deep in the spread for that matter, you're probably going to not be able to stop it and get it back. But if the flock's working and you're not running the gun, and that's what I had mentioned, you know, you can reassure the dog, kennel, sit. You can give those verbal cues while the birds are working to remind them what you want them to do. Um, And then when everybody comes up and if the dog acts like it's coming out of the blind, you can give it the no kennel. You know, you can even you can start in on the dog immediately at that point instead of trying to, you know, pick your birds and then worry about the dog.
0: Right. That, I mean, and then...
2: It, and even with a collar, even with a collar, I would still give that same advice, you know. Yeah, you you, you have to that dog. tool to use at that point in time, but probably don't shoot the first few hunts until you know that the dog understands it's supposed to be steady in that environment right Um, i mean we we had a hunt last week where we landed you know 30 honkers and we had i think we had three dogs in the field at that point in time and we had geese walking 15 yards in front of the the dog blinds for a couple minutes before the shot got called so you know in a a situation like that you definitely need to make sure you have a steady dog or that whole flock's going to get busted
0: and then they just kept telling them no kennel, no kennel the whole time?
2: Yeah, just kennel. Just kennel. Just gave them a kennel, and the dogs understood that, you know, it wasn't their time to come out yet.
0: That's interesting. Um, my dog, I guess he was nine months when I started taking him. But the good thing about hunting in early, the way that we do it down here, is you you don't have all your geese whenever hunting season starts. So it's it's smaller groups usually to start out with. The bird size, the, the flock size, isn't you know what it is whenever things are full bore. So, it was a nice lead up for uh, for my dog. Whenever uh, whenever I had him, he's seven now, so um, he's just a shithead at this point. But it, it was a, it was a nice little it was a nice little lead up. I didn't have to worry about you know throwing like this guy's going to come probably in prime time, and um, it's just going to be chaos. He's not going to have yep. that proper lead-in time to make sure that the dog is comfortable.
1: Now gotcha. You, you've got one of our old guides has got a dog with you right now, right? Um, uh, Ryan? Is Ryan Fox is, is his dog with you yeah, now, Ryan or did he Falks, just pick it yep. up? He just
2: bought one. He's actually
1: going to be up here on October 3rd to pick him up. Ryan is a great guy. I think they're going yep, to South Dakota with sure. it, aren't they?
2: Yeah, they are.
0: How's How's that yep. dog doing?
2: Harry's doing a fantastic job right now. He's he's really putting it together for a young dog. Um, this will be his first hunting season. I think he's 15 or 16 months old, so he's definitely at that age to where he's ready to to get after some real birds.
0: He sent me a picture of Harry not too long, or I guess when he first bought it.
1: That dog has got a lot of family to move in with. He can be spoiled rotten. Yep. He hunts in South yep.
0: Dakota once a year, and that's uh, – That's kind of it. Yeah, Harry's a good-looking dog. I'm looking at him right now.
1: Um, Yep. Ryan is like my fat, nerdy son.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What a dick. Um, Have you been working with Harry since he was a puppy, or when did you start working with Harry? We
2: got Harry. Harry was an import. We got him, I think, right around January or February. So we've been working with him since then.
0: Now, when you say import, where is he imported from?
2: He was imported from Ireland, I believe.
0: Oh, no shit, huh? Yep. What'd he come over from Ireland for?
2: Just good stock but, or better weather? Good stock. Yep, good stock. He heard we shoot a lot of big geese here, so
1: <laughs> he wanted to you he he a letter.
2: He messaged
1: you on Instagram? Is Harry undersized? Like, Harry is.
2: Uh, well, yeah, a, he's probably going to finish about 70 pounds, 72 pounds, I would guess.
1: That's big for an English dog, isn't it?
2: Um, for a male, that's about where they typically run. Our stud dog, Hank, up here is large for a, a British field bred dog. He's probably 88 to 90 pounds,
1: so. And he's Irish, Jeff. My dad had an English field champion, and she was little. She weighed about 50 pounds, Rhea. Boy, she was a nice dog.
2: Yeah, most of our females run about 55 to 60, somewhere in that in that neighborhood. She, so, was,
1: she was a very smart dog, bull.
0: How do you find a dog in Ireland that you think is good enough to make the trip
2: over? I mean, it's just like anything else. You have to have a network of people on the ground who are, uh, you know, communicating. I mean, let's social media is just communication, you know. We know what the presidential candidates are doing every five minutes now, so. You know, figuring out what some dogs are doing across the pond really isn't really isn't that hard.
0: What did you look at with Harry? Was it just his genetics, or did you see his something genetics?
2: The the pedigree um, specifically is why we decided to bring him over.
0: And motherfucking Ryan Fox is the one walking away with him. Yep. Poof! I'm I fuck. I want Ryan to bring Harry down now. <laughs> he's coming. He's coming at Christmas time to, to bring him. He's not going to bring Harry. Harry's going to stay in Ohio
1: with his parents, it, with Ryan's parents. Greg. Yes. Yeah, Greg. Greg's
2: Greg's been down a couple times too. Or I think he's actually living in Wisconsin, maybe.
0: So. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Um, yep. Greg's all about it. Greg is all about Harry. Oh yeah. Falk said he needs he's his routine, and walking the dogs as part of Greg's routine. So, like, Harry, I'm telling you. When Jeff said Harry hit the lotto, going to Ohio with those with his parents, he's not lying. Like he's going to be catered to, it's going to be insane.
2: That's awesome.
0: Um, That's- w- is what? What did they decide? Collar or no collar?
2: Um, Harry is running without a collar.
0: Wow, that surprises me. Being that Fox is a little cold blooded in his approach on some things. <laughs> <laughs> I figured I figured he'd have you uh lighten that little bastard up. <laughs> Fox is
1: Foxes Fox don't a, have a mean bone in his freaking body. Well it's he's, great, he's never been in a fight in his life or well, anything. He can be a dickhead. <laughs> but I love him.
0: He's like he's like a brother to me. He he's 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 excited. So um I'm gonna have to ask him whenever he goes. Um when they go to South Dakota. They go every year. They've been going for like twenty years, so I know he's excited to uh, to take the new dog out there.
2: We're yeah, he's definitely excited. He's going to pick him up on the third, and I think spend a week or two with them before they uh, before they head up.
0: Now, how much time will they have with, with with like on a typical purchase? Not necessarily what they're doing, but will the trainer spend a couple days with you guys?
2: That's what we prefer. We prefer you usually make it up at like a day a solid day before pickup. And then come back after everything's kind of had time to settle in and spend another day with us. Um, if people are traveling, you know, a, a good bit to get here, then usually we'll try to do it all in two days back to back.
0: What do you mean when everything settles down? Like come back to you?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So if it's a local guy, we'll have him come out like, you know, a week or two before the dog goes home, run the dog, watch us run the dog and then, you know, come back and pick the dog up another week or two later and then handle the dog again.
1: Have you trained a Labradoodle yet?
2: Mm. We have not trained a Labradoodle.
1: What are your
0: thoughts on the Silver Lab? I've already pissed off the uh, Goldens. (laughs) Let's just go ahead and step off into this, too.
2: I, I think my thoughts on the Silver Labs are probably about what every other labrador breeder who doesn't breed silver labs it's, 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 it's really it's not really even a thing i guess
1: <laughs> and you know what's funny is when you see pictures of them on the internet you're like wow that's a good looking dog some then of you, them are then you see them in person and you're like what the fuck happened because it's the, you know the ones i've seen are not genetics pretty. Are,
2: it's just genetics right at this point they're there's still a bunch of kinks that are uh Definitely not worked out of that that color for sure
1: right now. Well, he's a very politically correct man. Have you noticed this, Don? I'm, per- I'm having
0: tr- I'm having a tough time moving you off of your spot here.
1: Yeah,
2: um yeah. So so just for us, I mean, it's like I tell everybody, we're so focused on what we're doing, I really don't pay attention to what everybody else is doing out there. Another politically correct answer to, that, to sell a ton of silver labs and you know, yay capitalism, I guess. But if you're you're the person that's trying to buy the dog, probably. You know, do your research and make sure you're not, uh, you know. And if you need to buy another one, hey, I'm over here. We'll, we'll get you your next one after that one fails, I guess.
1: Now there,
0: now there's a little
1: bit of a racy answer. The Thank non- you, Don. But the non-politically response would, they're horse shit. And if you want to buy a real dog, come see <laughs> us. That's what he wanted to say.
0: That's how I translated it? Yes. Hey, um, so w- with the – The AKC recognized Silver for a while, didn't they? And then they took that back?
2: Uh, You know, I can't even stay up on that. I I have no idea. I know the UKC isn't for sure. I don't know where the AKC's official stance on that is today. I have no idea.
0: What a a politically – you should run for office up there. I literally don't
2: pay any attention to what's going on with them, to be honest, as long as AKC sends me my paperwork when I need it i'm happy
0: when whitmer resigns you ought to think about taking up that mantle
2: man i, I don't think anybody could do any worse so
1: <laughs> oh she's a shithole boy
2: Whew. man it's crazy up here
1: so Recky was we telling started,
2: me uh, we started high school football season here um i think we're getting ready to start it this past weekend they kicked it off and they want the High school football players who are playing a contact sport to wear face masks while they compete.
0: So yeah, stupid. that'll 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 go over like a fart in church.
1: Yeah, absolutely insane. Well, is she is she raising hell now that Michigan and Michigan State are going to start playing football? I mean,
2: I don't think any more or less than she was. So, so. yeah, it's definitely. Uh, uh, like I said, it's just crazy
1: Absolutely insane Her husband, I feel sorry for that bastard you we, ma-
2: we still have to wear We still have to wear masks In the restaurants And then literally as soon as you get to your table You can take it off That's that So way. that makes absolutely no sense at all
1: That's that way everywhere though, I think still It's, stu- yeah. it's stupid as shit ever I agree with you but
2: I'm pretty sure the air inside that uh, That building is getting circulated enough To where, you know the old virus is definitely going to make its way around.
1: I'll tell you how smart that virus is, though. I had a Makers and Coke flying back from Seattle, and I could take my mask off to have my drink, which I sucked on that drink a long time because I didn't want to put my mask back on. (laughs) And for some reason, that virus knows that I'm drinking, so it does not leave me or come to me. But as soon as I finished my drink, I had to put my mask back on.
2: That's definitely because it was a Makers, probably. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. If that would have been like a seltzer, you probably would have ended up with the COVID.
1: Yeah, that's a twat waffle drink for men should not yeah. drink that shit. Andy was drinking one the other day, come by the house. A seltzer? Hey, fuck yeah, you uh, did. I was I don't, embarrassed for him. I don't mind him. He goes, don't oh, mind he goes, oh, this is pretty tasty.
0: Well, thanks a lot for stepping on my toes, Don. You avoided every, you avoided the silvers and the goldens, but you stepped on my toes over the seltzer.
1: Well, you got for me. sure, man.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, uh, no man drinks White Claw without his tampon in.
0: <laughs> I happen to find them I happen to find them uh, delicious uh, did Whitmer she wanted she, her husband wanted their boat to get into the water I guess she had shut everything down but she called to make sure that her boat could get uh, whatever it has to get done to make sure it could get on the water in time for Memorial Day
2: yeah they, they opened up the part of the state that her vacation home was in and then um, from what I understand he went to the the marina and tried playing the "Do you know who my wife is?" card, and uh sounds like it didn't work for him.
0: They told him to fuck off, didn't they?
2: Yeah, and then she basically came out and told everybody that he was joking, and we we're like, "Yeah, mm-hmm. he was only joking because it failed."
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Just like Pelosi got set up by a hairdresser; she got duped.
2: Yep, I've seen that too, for sure.
0: Two two sets of rules that they're two sets uh,
2: of rules, man.
0: That they've got us going by so how how did y'all get hooked up with uh southern oak kennel how did this relationship happen
2: um we started buying dogs from barton uh it's probably been six years ago now i want to say uh we had purchased i think we probably had eight or ten dogs from him before we actually became the the first southern oak kennel campus up here in michigan um so, yeah, just you know running dogs, friendship, doing business with him, and then obviously he he's seen the benefit of having another location up here in Michigan, so uh you know we were obviously growing and and doing our own thing at that time, so from a branding and marketing perspective, uh, you know just kind of kind of made sense. We all had similar similar goals, and obviously uh dogs from the same
0: bloodline in the same place so it just kind of made sense now i mean did, did when you when you teamed up with barton i mean do, do you uh is it just the bloodlines or do you kind of take on you know how he trains dogs or or what all did it entail when you part, partnered with barton
2: I think if you look at everybody collectively, everybody has their own style of what they do to train the dog and how they're going to get the best out of that dog. Um, But bloodline, pedigrees, all of that stuff are for sure um, something that, you know, his stuff is stuff that we would own and vice versa as far as pedigrees go.
0: Yeah. Um, So, What, in your opinion, what's the main difference between, uh, UK dogs and American dogs, labs?
2: Um, size probably is the most obvious. And then it's very, so the American dogs too, I don't think that there's like one umbrella that you can throw all of them in either. You have, you know, like we were talking about earlier, the FC dogs that are, you know, they've been bred specifically for field trials for generations. And, you know, to think that we're going to take a British dog and compete in a field trial um, with the stuff that we have that wasn't bred to do that is just ridiculous. So, you know, that there's definitely... The British dogs, I think, are definitely bred to be more bittable, a little bit softer, as we mentioned, without the use of the e-collar. And I don't think that, as a whole, you're going to get a dog that's uh, as independently driven as some of the American lines are. And and again, too, that's obviously casting a broad net because, you know, there's always exceptions to the rules on, on both ends.
0: Sure. So, really, I mean, you just kind of have to look at what you're wanting out of a dog.
2: Right. Right. If, I, if I'm going through puppy applications and I see somebody that wants an AFC, then I'm not going to sell them one of our dogs because, you know, they're probably not going to be happy with it because that that that's not what they've bred for and that's not where they're going to sell. There's a ton of good AFC breeders out there that would definitely be able to put them in something that uh, would be more fitting for what they're looking for.
0: But if you're wanting a dog that can maybe do a couple hunts a year and is a good citizen, then for the average person, a British dog would be the way to go.
2: For the average person, so even within our our breeding stock right now, I mean, we have guide dogs that, you know, basically this pairing we're probably not going to send to a first-time dog owner you know, maybe this pairing is something that would go to a first-time dog owner because it's going to be more biddable. It may give you, a, you know, on that one to ten scale, it may operate at a at a five to seven instead of a nine to ten all the time. Mm-hmm. So, so even within our own stuff, there's definitely a range there that that you know things should be operating in. So
0: what do you think led to? You said British dogs are a little bit softer what do you think led to that
2: it's just like anything else it's selective breeding and how they breed and the traits and characteristics that they're looking for in england and ireland as opposed to you know what what we're doing here with some of them
0: i mean do you think that there's a detriment to either side
2: so if you go to any extreme either way i think for sure so If you get a dog that's super soft to where it doesn't respond to any pressure at all, then, you know, that's obviously detrimental. And then the the same way, you know, if you get too far the other way of the curve and you have a dog that can take everything that, uh, you know, your sport dog's able to give it and push through that pressure, then that's probably not a good thing either. So so if you get out there at those extreme ends either way, it's definitely not, not a good thing.
0: What about in the middle?
2: In the middle is where you want to be.
0: Right. Not not to, uh, something I, I, that you can push a little bit that will respond yeah. and correct, but not yep. so soft that it's going to.
2: Willing to please is, is where I want to be. Where can you. So t- that dog that wants to work with me is like, yep, you're right. I screwed that up, but I'll try better next time. So,
0: Is there an age where you see that light bulb come on in their head?
2: It's that all willing different. to please? It's all different. I mean, once I think they start to learn how to work with you um, through the training, you know, and it's just like anything else. I think that first year out in the field is just them gaining experience of, you know, being around that environment, whether it's, you know, big spreads, little spreads, deep water, muddy what whatever it is that you're throwing them into that first year, they just get a ton of experiences, a ton of new experiences, And then as you get into that second, third, and fourth year, I think that's really when the polish starts to show up. So so that's, I think, you know, to answer your question, into that probably third and fourth year is when, you know, you're really happy with what you got.
0: What about in the training? Like, can you tell uh, this dog is going to make it at a certain point in training?
2: Man, you just never know when that light bulb is going to click, right? It's just like, you know, algebra. Everybody learns that stuff at a different pace. Obviously, some people don't, but for for the most part, you just don't know when that light bulb is going to click. We've even had some of our personal dogs that you thought, man, this, the dog literally just seen it fall and it can't find it. And then, you know, fast forward four months, and it doesn't matter where it falls, it's front foot in the mark stepping on it coming back dropping it off and going out and picking the next one up so you just don't know when that's going to happen
0: so when is a safe time to like give up on a dog because you just you know you just said that you've seen dogs just kind of click overnight when can you say safely like ah this dog just won't won't pan out
2: for us as long as they're showing forward progress continuing to work with us and then the biggest thing for us is, is the dog meeting the owner's expectation? So I think that comes into play more than, um, us. So if we're having those conversations with the owners on a regular basis, it's up for that owner to determine, you know, this is, or is not going to meet my expectation? Hmm. Because at the end of the day, it's a a customer service business, right? Sure. It it doesn't matter if I'm super happy with it. It matters what what the owner thinks and where they're at. And I could be super happy with the dog, and for whatever reason, the dog and the owner just don't mesh or gel, and, you know, they want to move on to something else that happens. um, That's kind of frustrating. really we just throw our advice out to the owner and you know, all all those decisions come from them.
0: That's gotta be frustrating as hell. Have a dog that you think is going to, you know, pass muster and then the owner being like, "Ah,
2: It's just like anything else, man. If you don't like it for whatever reason, you're not going to like it. So so like you mentioned, the dog could be killer in the field and just the quirks and the personality around the house for whatever reason they don't like or, you know, stuff happens.
0: Hmm. I don't know. Some of that I don't think that they're going to be happy with anything that they get.
2: Uh, there's some people who are wired that way for sure.
0: Well, I mean... you know, I'm, just, when, I'm when,
2: happy if, uh, if the dog goes out and picks the birds up and, uh, you know, hangs out, isn't too big of a pain in the ass around the house. I'm good.
0: When do most people pick their dog? What age?
2: Um... At a puppy? Yes. So our puppies all go home at eight weeks, and then typically they'll send them back in for the first round of training after the adult teeth come in, which is usually around six to eight months of age. That's when we get them back, usually for the first round of training.
0: I mean, you know, when, and when you put it that way, that's another thing. You know, you get this dog, it's eight weeks old, it's cute, it's cuddly, and then you take it home and it starts shitting in the house, and you start seeing yep. that it's a fucking mess, and... I mean, some of that it's just it's it's a dog being a dog, and yes, to yep. to to be like oh well, it's not meeting my expectations, you know, at home or whatever. I don't know. It seems a little foolhardy on my from from me hearing it.
2: Yep, and again too. I mean, you know, and it's like I tell everybody too: circumstances change, right? Where yep. you're at today in life may not be where you're at a year or two down the road or six months down the road. Things happen, stuff changes, and you know, at the end of the day, um, sometimes a, a pet is one of those things that some people, for whatever reason, have to rehome or can't hold on to. Or they just, like you mentioned, it was definitely not what they envisioned, you know, owning a pet would be, so.
0: Because I'll tell you what, when you go look at them for the first time and they're bouncing around with their litter mates and, you know, they're, <laughs> Fumfering around and tackling one another It's the cutest thing in the world, it'll melt your heart And then oh, it's yeah, 3 sure. in the morning When you're crate training that little bastard And it's it's screaming and all this other stuff And you gotta take that thing out And it's it becomes a job quickly
2: Puppy go home days Are some of my favorite just to see all Of the, you know New families, you know Picking their puppy up and, and, and Taking them home for sure
0: Oh, I, I'm sure, I bet it Uh
2: there's expectations, you know, all the way around on on those days for for sure.
0: Yeah, well, I mean that that puppy's got nothing but potential, you know, and that and that person yep. sees it, and you can see it in its eyes, and you know yep. that you know they think that this dog might be the the next great thing, or you know whatever. It's nothing but potential, and then it gets home, and you start. It's just a puppy, and puppies got to shit, and puppies are going to have accidents.
2: Exactly.
0: Oh, I don't know. I. I I don't know how you do it. I wouldn't have a hair in my head left.
2: I don't. <laughs> Obviously, we haven't met, because, yeah, I, I don't.
0: I'm telling you. Every day, dealing with those dogs and the different mannerisms and all that stuff, I don't know how you keep your sanity.
2: Man, it's 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 definitely challenging some days, but at the end of every day, you still feel like you made progress, and you know that... Uh, you know, it, we're working toward where we're at right now where we can get these things in the field and start stacking the birds up and, you know, letting them do their job.
0: Are there certain dogs that just will eat your lunch?
2: As far as?
0: As far as training? Like, you get them out of the kennel and then you're like, oh, it's going to be one of those days with this little pecker head.
2: Oh, yeah. Every one of them has that potential. Like, you, you, we always call it, like, the pace dog. Uh-huh. If the first dog comes out of the kennel and sets the pace like that, you know, you may have a few that day that test your patience. So <laughs> it, it's contagious, I think.
0: Well, and I mean, and you've got your good days and your bad days as a human being. Yeah. So you know, there's some For days sure. where some things that might not bother you one day drive you up a wall the next.
2: For sure. And it's the same thing with these dogs. I mean, you know, it's a process. And even, that's what I tell most of our clients, like, we'll typically update every two weeks on progress. And it's just because we don't want them to ride that emotional roller coaster of, they did really good today, and you know what, they completely suck tomorrow.
0: Right, right. So
2: as they gain experience and we move through time, the the, the distance between those peaks and valleys kind of levels out a little bit, but... You know, if if you wanted me to update every three days on where your dog was, you probably wouldn't have the hair left by the time you came to got it. <laughs> it it's just, it's a process. It takes the time that it takes, and you know, eventually we're going to get there.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's smart. I think to do it every two weeks because, like you said, you kind of have a, an even an even report. You know, it did this right, yep. it did this wrong. Overall, yep. it's positive. But you're right. If you did it yep. every day, oh my goodness. Yeah. Because you might string together yeah. three or four bad days before you get a good training session.
2: That breakthrough that you're looking for, for sure.
0: Right, right. Uh, it's, it, it's fascinating. How many dogs are on your campus right now?
2: I think we're sitting at 20, 20-ish right now. And how? Um, We're starting to ramp down as, as hunting season comes in, obviously. So by the end of this month, we'll be down to about fifteen and then the end of October we'll be down to around ten.
0: And that's where you stay at during hunting season winter time?
2: Yeah, hunting season will stay right around ten.
0: What's the most that you'll have?
2: Uh usually right around thirty.
0: So 25, 30 is, is average.
2: Yeah. Yep.
0: And then you just start paying
2: Yeah, we, yep, we have two trainers full time and then usually during the peak summer months we'll hire like a kennel hand to you know help out. During, during those three or four months.
0: And what does the training look like? Is it, is it one dog at a time? Is it pairs? How do you do it?
2: So we'll do obviously the one dog at a time, but we'll have, as they're able to, we'll have three or four dogs out honoring the other dogs working, sitting on their place stands or in the, in the blinds or, you know, wherever their place may be for the day, watching the other dogs work. Right. So that way we're basically showing them that everything that you see fall isn't yours.
0: See, that's where I think I messed up with my dog. Right there. We did, w- the way we trained, you know, it was just, it was just him. So he got to do all the yep. fun stuff and then he didn't realize that there was this waiting period. Yep. So.
2: So we we do that typically, you know, that honoring is a huge thing for us just because. Like I mentioned earlier, when you get to the breaking or you get to the other dogs working, they're not, you know, out of their mind, while another dogs picking birds up that they got denied. You know, they're not whining or carrying on while while all that stuff's happening.
0: Yeah, my second dog. There will be a extensive honoring. Uh, yeah. Time, for sure.
2: But, and that's something we put a huge focus on, so we we like to say you know no no more than twenty percent of the stuff that they see fall they should actually go get right,
0: but you know, I was gung ho and ready to pump a pump a good dog out, and uh,
2: yep, well, that's what I tell everybody too like i I know exactly how far you can throw a bumper or a tennis ball typically when you get your dog. <laughs> if they've done a lot of hand-thrown retrieves, I know your range Because your dog will run out 30 or 40 yards and be like, "That this is the farthest I'm going That's right I know, I know he's never going to throw it farther than this So I must have missed it or something already got it Because yep. it's definitely not going 50 yards
0: That's exactly right And out here where everything's wide open and flat a little, That little bastard better have a long range Because half mile, you know, that's not out of the question
2: yeah, we've seen some some good retrieves out in Oklahoma, especially in the peanut fields.
0: Yep, yep. You
2: get, uh, you know, you get a sailed little goose and, and the dog gets to go for a bigger run. Those are always fun.
0: Got to have plenty of trust.
2: Yeah, those are always fun. You watch them run up and disappear over the hill, and then a few minutes later they come back over the hill with the goose. That's always always a good time.
0: That's exactly right. Well, man, we're Again, gonna suck. we're gonna let you uh, hop off of here. It's been a it's been an enjoyable podcast with you. I really had a good time, and uh, thank you for uh, for coming on here.
2: Awesome, man, appreciate it.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, when are you going to go out this weekend or what?
2: We are definitely going to try. That's for sure. We we had a quite a few good days in a row here, so we want to try to keep that streak going.
1: We'll, we'll stack them up and be safe. God bless y'all, and I hope y'all have a, a good, long, safe season. You too, guys. See you, Don. Thank you.
0: One of the most politically correct guests that we've ever had on.
1: Very politically correct.
0: He knows his place yeah. and well, what not to step off into, unlike myself.
1: Yep, you've so, pissed the Silver Lab and the uh, just Goldens, the Silver Labs. Got them all.
0: One, one swoop. All right, everybody, we appreciate you tuning in, and... Hope that you have a good one. God bless. Thank you to all of our sponsors, Stanfield Hunting Outfitters, J2 Outdoors, Foul Bandits, Gun Dog Outdoors. We've got a giveaway with them every week. Dirty Duck Coffee, Dive Bomb, Boss Shot Shells, Pacific Calls, Lucky Duck, Looking Glass Duck Club, William and Chris Wines, and 14 Cattle Company. Go check all these great people out. Have a good one.